Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Technology Report. I'm your host, Vago Muradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. President Biden has issued a new executive order to ensure safe, secure, and trustworthy artificial intelligence, which Vice President Harris will recommend the international community adopt as a global blueprint uh, as British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak tries to marshal a worldwide approach to artificial intelligence. She's going to propose a new AI Safety Institute at the Commerce Department, draft policy guidance on how the government will use AI, $200 million for AI safety, and endorsements from 30 nations of the U.S. political declaration on the responsible use of artificial intelligence and autonomy. Joining us now to discuss this executive order uh, and more is my good friend, John Cofrancesco, the founder of Applied AI, uh, an innovative AI company, one of the nation's thoughtful AI and cyber minds. John, uh, it was uh, terrific seeing you at AUSA, and thanks so very much for joining us back on the program. Well, it was great seeing you, and thank you for having me back. Uh, It's always a pleasure. Before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. HII sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. Uh, John, uh, welcome back. You joined us in uh, August for the last update uh, on this uh, topic. The White House says uh, this executive order builds on work that's already been done, including the president's agreement uh, a couple of months ago with uh, AI companies on voluntary constraints on the technology. You're one of the uh, folks uh, who lauded uh, the administration's uh, cyber uh, actions as being on track. But AI is is different than what we've seen on, on cyber, right? Even if we were a little bit late to the party, we're making the right moves. There's a sense that you know this is a kind of a good starting point uh, on this. What they're trying to do is implement safeguards uh, on a fast-moving technology that could prove uh, problematic, but do so without stifling innovation. Uh, The concern expressed in this case is, again, the government is not only behind, but may actually have the wrong approach. From your standpoint, start us with what you think the administration is getting right in this case uh, as uh, sort of a first step. Well, they've got two things right, and unsurprisingly, they're the two things that relate to cybersecurity. So... Uh, Two of the major headlines coming out of this AI executive order is that they want to use AI to close cyber vulnerabilities. And of course, with large language models, their ability to program and identify vulnerabilities is fantastic. So I think that's a really good choice on their part to say, hey, let's put some focus, let's put some energy to use these tools to clean up cyber vulnerabilities. The other really marked uh, success, I would say, in this executive order is they're calling on Congress to pass privacy protection legislation. Now, I would say in cybersecurity or AI or a number of other uh, civic matters, individuals, citizens of the United States, having the right to protect their personal information is the single best step that we can take to ensuring more security. So they, they did both of those in this executive order. Those were really the two things that they got right. From your standpoint, what do they not get right? Right, you have a reputation of being able being able to say, "Hey, great shirt, nah, you got to work on the belt, decent shoes." What what is it uh, that that you think needs work, and the kind of work that it needs? Well, I, I unfortunately, I think the order sort of misses what's happening here. That so we have these two sort of gleaming points of getting it right, and and you have 
a dozen where they just completely missed the boat. Uh, their view clearly of AI is a fearful view. Uh, if you go through just the, the highlights the White House put out of the executive order, it uses the word protect something like a dozen times and uses the word ensure, uses words like secure again and again and again. What you don't see a lot of is exploit, advantage, build. The reality is, is that this technology is going to positively influence the world. Things that were out of touch just two or three years ago in terms of providing education, providing medical care are now within our grasp. I'd much rather see the White House focusing on bringing entrepreneurs to bear so that America can lead this revolution in providing amazing services, not just to the people of the United States, but the world. This Their take is clearly a fearful take. That's a mistake. They're missing the boat. Um, I, I want to get to uh, fear uh, in a in a moment, but would would you characterize this as a good start or actually a bad start if the fundamental understanding of the technology is off? I think it's just a misstep. It's it's almost like a non-starter, right? This is a stutter step. Um, like I said, there are a couple really good things in it that we needed anyhow, and they've peppered that in here. But, they're, but the broad stroke of what they've written about is fear-focused, and it will achieve very little. And, and the reason it will achieve very little is because it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what the technology is going to do. These, these fear-based approaches are, are in reality uh, about giving corporations, big corporations, monopoly over the implementation of AI. Uh, that's not going to be good for the people. We saw that with social media, where a handful of companies can dictate the outcomes of national elections and, and international relations. That's not been healthy for the world. Uh, at, at the heart of it, what we ought to see uh, our administration focusing on is taking advantage of the benefits of the tools. And I actually think that's where America needs to lead the world. So it needs to be, hey, we want to provide healthcare access to everybody through AI. We want to provide access to all 7 billion people on earth through AI, here's how we can do it ethically. Here's how we can do it soundly. Instead, the focus has been on make sure that the tool doesn't take over the world, make sure that it's not going to cost people jobs, make sure that it's not going to impact uh, US workers. The reality is, is that there's nothing they can do in those areas. It is going to impact US workers. It is going to have uh, some negatives to it that we can mitigate, but they're unlikely to mitigate through this executive order, right? And and it is going to have uh, some major changes to our society. Getting out in front means leading the leading the path to uh, the development, not implementing new standards and practices and regulations that, frankly, are unlikely to land successfully uh, if you don't understand the technology to begin with. Let me let me ask you a little bit about uh, fear, even though this is a conversation you and I uh, have uh, had uh, before. Um, there is a greater fear about this technology, or I would say as great almost as right the the atom bomb. Right, Oppenheimer was seen as a as an analog for technology run amok that um, you know uh, then jeopardizes all of humanity. Uh, and and there's been a vigorous debate for a long time in the artificial intelligence circles, right? I mean, I'm not as deep in the circles clearly as as you are, but this sort of sense that was reinforced after ChatGPT, for example, because you know the, the designers of ChatGPT was you know said, oh, you know, it, it can't do a whole bunch of things that it actually you know ended up being able to do, um, you know, in, in, including just whole cloth make stuff up. 
uh, or, you know, you know, every once in a while tell the, the you know, person questioning them that they either wanted to kill them or, or, you know, that they should kill themselves or something like that. Right. I mean, that sort of was shocking. Uh, and, and why now there are ads running on TV that says, well, you know, AI hasn't started an artificial, you know, has, hasn't started a nuclear war yet. And, you know, the AI responds, well, I'm still learning. Um, right. So where, where do we have to park this fear, John, right? And, and realistically look at it because I'm, I'm with you. The technology is dramatically enabling, is game changing, is going to create jobs, not necessarily lose jobs. It's going to help us give better medical diagnosis. You know, I mean, the benefits from it are incredible. But when it comes to the autonomy and the negative use of AI, our adversaries are using AI negatively now. I'm sure the Russians uh, are actively using AI in order to, uh, you know, fuel divisions between the United States and its allies and Jews and Muslims and, you know, exacerbate the crisis in the Middle East, uh, right, in, in as most effectively as they can. What, what is it? What is it we should fear? What is it that we do not have to fear from your standpoint? Well, I think it's reasonable to fear that bad people will use all tools as a weapon. I mean, if we just wind back the clock uh, three quarters of a century, right? The United States having a nuclear bomb, probably okay. The Soviet Union having nuclear bombs, pretty scary stuff. Uh, and if you wind back a little further than that, right? The US Manhattan Project, good plan. The Nazis getting a bomb, an absolute horrific idea. So it is true that AI is very powerful and that bad guys are going to use it to bad stuff. There isn't an executive order that can be written that's going to prevent that. There's nothing we can do to prevent the bad guys doing bad things. What we can do is focus on the good things that we can do with the tools. And if we focus on those things, two things will happen. First, the world in general will get better in the same way that uh, oil produced better outcomes. Uh, if you actually look at it, the amount of energy output per oil in improved the lives of women around the world, just like actually nuclear energy improved the lives of hundreds of millions of people in the last century, in the same way that the vaccines improved the, the lives of billions of people in the last century. So the first thing we need to do is focus on building because that will improve the lives of people around the world. The second thing, in terms of mitigating uh, the sort of negatives, transparency is key. So what we didn't do as a society, and I write this writ large as global society when social media came out, is we didn't mandate transparency. In fact, there are some notable quotes from Mark Zuckerberg about his users being morons, because they gave him the information. I think this is an opportunity, and, and I do think the Biden administration has gotten this right in their executive order, that where they're saying, hey, we have to protect people's personal privacy, where we need to have transparency. And I think that is what can be executed. So if we live in a world where there's going to be AI tools, people can know, oh, I can use AI tool one because it has personal protections and it has transparency. So bad guys can't use it against me. I won't use AI tool number two, because I know that there are no protections there. And it's very likely the bad guys are going to do something nefarious with it. So it, it's reasonable to have fear of, of new things, particularly as they can be used for nefarious, um, you know, nefarious projects. But but the reality is, is we're, we're on the cusp of a, of a technological change that is going to improve the world. I want America at the forefront of that change, because when Americans are in charge, outcomes are better for all of human society. An executive order based in fear is not going to lead the American entrepreneur into investing. Uh, and that that's what I want Americans doing. Um, do um, 
Rishi uh, Sunak, uh, the British Prime Minister, is convening a uh, meeting at uh, Bletchley uh, Park, the home of artificial intelligence. Indeed, Alan Turing, uh, obviously a critical element in the code-breaking team there, uh, and a, you know one of the, the most uh, important theorists on uh, AI, although uh, Johnny von Neumann and a whole bunch of other people were, were involved in, in that uh, as well. Um, from your perspective, does... Does this executive order, right as Vice President Harris is going to make the case, does this serve as a useful armature, given that it looks like the administration may have endorsements from 30 countries to use this as sort of a blueprint? Well, I think that the fear amongst leadership around the world, particularly in the Western world, is there. And I think that they will probably be successful at garnering a lot of support for this. I, I candidly, I, with the exception of the two really gleaming areas of successful uh, marks, I, I would give this by and large, I think that this is the wrong tack. Uh, I, I would, and I think the Fledgley Park is a great example of this. If we wind back the clock, now everybody remembers that Alan Turing built the initial machine. People forget that in the entire United Kingdom, they had one or two of those machines. They gave that technology to the United States and we had hundreds of them by the end of the war. And so this is a prime example of where another country is taking the lead. Obviously, we've written this executive order. I'd love to see America step in on this one. I do think people will follow the fear that we're providing. I think that's a mistake. The skepticism of the big uh, companies uh, exists, right? So even though they have a lot of horsepower, there is uh, skepticism. Uh, there is skepticism, and we've discussed it, and Tom Siebel of C3AI and others have sort of said, like, look, you know, the, the big companies don't necessarily want to get into an arms race on this, which is what is fueling some of this, um, you know, drive on, on, on their part. Um, what is the way to address this global fear? The, the, these fears exist not just in the United States, right, John? I mean, they exist among you know, folks, whether they're in the UK, they're in France, you know, in meetings I've had in France, uh, this has come up. Meetings I've had in the UK, this has uh, come up. Um, you know, what, what's the best way to address this fear? Or or is it going to take AI used against us somehow by an adversary, right? Because adversaries aren't going to abide by any of our autonomy constraints, even if we would like, you know, even if we abide by them, right? Well, that's what I would say AI is already being used against us. And I think you, you hit on the key point here, right? That so I'm sure the Russians and the Chinese are already using AI created content uh, to turn us against ourselves through social media. That, that's already happening. And I'm also certain uh, AI targeting tools, uh, AI identification tools uh, are already being built into Chinese and Russian weapons uh, to be used against us. We in the West have ethics that would prevent that. Uh, but those things are already beginning to happen, uh, you know, in the home of our adversaries. But I think the best way to get people past this fear is to have them experience AI. That's so, you know, for example, if you use ChatGPT, if you use Claude 2, you'll see that those tools are very powerful, can really advance your business. But they, they still have huge vulnerabilities and they're still not able to replace the human entirely. And candidly, I think it'd be very surprising if they were ever able to completely replace the human. Uh, but the experience of using a tool that can quickly identify and diagnose a health issue, that'll change the game for people. And to put some clarity around this, I personally have built a tool that can pass the US medical exams. And Google has several tools that are considerably better than the one I built. And 
That is the way we change the future. The way we change the future is to bring these tools to bear for positive use cases. When people have the opportunity to do that, when people have the opportunity to, to use the tools and have those experiences, their, fear, their fears will be allayed with the exception of, of the personal privacy concerns uh, and the transparency. And again, I, those are the two areas I think the, the Biden administration gets it right. Um, and in fact, we in the United States probably should take a lead from, from the Europeans on the GDPR where they already have a lot of those protections in place. Obviously, you're a, a, a guy who uh, founded uh, and is trying to grow uh, the latest among your many business ventures of getting involved with uh, interesting things and trying to grow them uh, and and you know monetize that at the at the end of the that hard work. Um, you know, AI is a little like cyber, where not only do you have the big actors, but actually small actors play a, a very important role in the broader ecosystem, right? What are what are the things that can you know? This might sound like a grossly self self serving question to be asking you, but um, you know what is what is the role of small companies in this space, and how is it how is what they're doing differ from what big guys are doing, and how does do you fit into the entire uh, ecosystem, and and how can you fit into the ecosystem? Uh, of of sort of better informing leaders. I mean, obviously, engagements like this help, but from an ecosystem standpoint, well, I think walk, that walk us through how to think about this. Yeah, that's. A, we, I think the first way to look at it is from a, an economic perspective. The, the reality is is that these these big companies are really not that creative anymore. There are some exceptions. Uh, Amazon still has some niche areas. Google still has some niche areas. But if you look uh, at the high level. Uh, at a vast level, the amount of creation that comes out of these companies is relatively small today. So occasionally they they create a breakthrough technology, but most of the subsequent development happens through small companies. You, know, you might be familiar with this term. It's called a Kronos monopoly. And the idea comes from the, the Greek mythology where Kronos, the Titan, ate his children, the gods. In the tech industry, particularly AI and cyber, what happens is, is small companies uh, develop amazing things and then big companies eat them. Uh, and that's so in my world, that's very much what what I'm trying to do is I I take the tech, I develop it. Uh, and I, in fact, have invested in, you know, now close to a dozen tools to see what this AI could do. I've actually landed on a couple. Um, but the hope is to develop the market for that and then have one of the big companies come gobble me up uh, in that in that sort of Kronos monopoly way. That, so that's how the economics of this works. But from a development perspective, the smaller companies take most of the risks because if we blow up, well, it doesn't affect thousands of jobs and I don't have 80 VPs that have to sign off before we can experiment with something. So uh, I mentioned earlier, we built a tool that could pass the US medical exams. We did that on a whim because I wanted to see if we could do it. Uh, at, at many big companies, getting a sign off to experiment with something like that could take, you know, better part of a year. It took me a better part of, you know, four minutes. Um, and that that's, that's really that's really where the experimentation happens. So as you're thinking about the market, think small guys experiment, big guys acquire. Um, just really quickly on, on large language models, right? I mean, there was, you know, chat GPT sort of exploded on the scene, as I said, you know, both, you know, um, I, I can't tell you the number of people who found it actually really useful uh, in you know, as a business tool, uh, although, you know, you have to be very cognizant that whatever it is you share with them becomes like part of the public domain, right? So, I mean, you got to be very careful the information that you are sharing on chat GPT, if it's business information, because it, it becomes uh, chat uh, GPT's property uh, at that at that point. Um, 
it, it was sort of terrifying attributes. It's gotten better, but the use utilization rates have sort of come down as sort of the novelty of it is, has worn off. Um, and again, I mean, people now have concerns that, oh, wait a minute, whatever I share on there does become public domain, right? So now people are developing their own internal mechanisms and as you just said, delivering, developing those mechanisms, the, the bar is dropping in terms of being able to do that. Uh, right. And if I was a big company, that's why I'd be terrified because somebody with a couple of million dollars might be able to develop a better mousetrap. What, what is the future of this immediate technology that both propelled people's fears of a technology they've actually been using for a long time? Siri is AI, Alexa is AI, Google is AI. Yeah. So I think that the most akin analogy here is the introduction of electricity to the United States in the, the late 18 and early 1900s. And, and if you go back and you, and you read anything, you find that electricity was almost like a, a carnival novelty in the beginning. People would go to uh, stages and theaters and watch early scientists do perform shows, right? I mean, it was like one one level off of, uh, of a magic show, right? Mm -hmm. And then quickly that excitement about the sort of, ooh, look at the shiny light we can create went away. And, and that novelty wore off what it was replaced with was utility. So I think what you're seeing in terms of people signing on in large numbers and then you know the the use the usefulness of it uh, dissipating is that that as you say the novelty factor is worn off the woo is gone but now the utility is starting and I give you an example so one of the subsidiaries that I own is called American AI Logistics and we are using large language models to automatically bid government contracts uh, we can't do service contracts but supply contracts and and as I'm sitting here right now. There is an AI identifying that we've built, identifying government opportunities and bidding them. And, and Vago, we've already won opportunities with the government. We sold uh, a million, literally one million golf pencils to the state of Tennessee for uh, for their lotto locations. There's little green pencils. We sold fish tanks to a VA organization in Maine. I don't know why they needed fish tanks, but they needed fish tanks. Uh, and that's so the use case of me goofing around on ChatGPT and playing Dungeons and Dragons I no longer do that, but the but the utility use case of building a business, I'm doing lots of that, and I'm not the only one. That's going to change an industry, and I think there are lots of other use cases that, frankly, are much better for society that that are also going to be implemented through these tools. Let me just uh, round uh, this out because I do have to ask you uh, about the extraordinary, right? I mean, the biggest story in cyber is uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission going after uh, the Chief Information Security Officer, Solar Winds, uh, in the wake of that big hack. And I, I absolutely have to ask you about that. I also got a brief question about uh, Iran uh, and its sort of global uh, cyber, uh, nefarious uh, cyber activities, but none of which is, is new. Um, what does the administration's next steps need to be? Because clearly in the wake of this executive order, they're going to get feedback. Obviously, they got some feedback, some of which they listened to, some of which they, they didn't. But every administration, when it comes to something cutting edge, goes on an evolutionary track, um, right? What, what, are, what do you think the next steps of this is going to be? And what do you think the feedback the administration is going to get in the wake of this that helps craft a better approach to this technology? Because as you said, our adversaries are not squeamish about this technology and are operationalizing it, including in their weapons. They're, they're just not going to be as differentiated as we are. I'm not saying we need to be them, but it's it's already happening. 
if I was advising the administration, I would say focus on the areas where you can where you can get a win, right? And so I think both from a public policy and from a political standpoint, getting a privacy win would be huge. The average American does not want big companies controlling all their data and securing their data will add security for AI. It will add cybersecurity. So I would advise them to focus there. What I think is going to happen, uh, I think there's a negative feedback loop uh, coming into place here. So we're, the the administration is taking advice from big companies. Big companies would like more regulations because it gives them more control over the industry. And they're going to take that advice because they have an innate fear. So I think we're going to have this, this doom loop here where the big companies give them fear. The administration accepts that fear, internalizes it, and creates regulations, which only allow the big companies to create more fear. So I think that is unfortunately what's likely to happen. But hopefully, hopefully, um, some of the benefits of these tools will come to the forefront and, and sort of push aside those fears. I just think that is less likely to happen. I think the uh, I think the fear begetting fear very much akin, and I think we've discussed this before, to what we saw with prohibition and alcohol, where you had real, real, uh, you know, movements that were against alcohol. And then you also had gangsters who were hoping that alcohol would be made illegal because they knew they were going to make a ton of money on it. I think there's a very similar experience going on here. Talk to us about uh, the SEC uh, going after uh, the uh, SolarWinds uh, CISO. First, to remind the audience, right, the SolarWinds hack was extremely uh, big and extremely damaging. Uh, right, it was discovered by FireEye, and the accusation by the Securities and Exchange Commission is that the company simply, you know, was warned uh, and did not disclose uh, the magnitude uh, of its, uh, you know, challenges quickly as it should. Um, you know, SEC has pursued, uh, uh, you know, pursued Elon Musk uh, during the Trump administration for statements that he made, uh, ultimately that may, may not have been as accurate and was penalized for it, uh, if I recall correctly. Walk us through the SolarWinds case and why this is such a particularly uh, or, or could be an even more important outcome, right? Or could be an important outcome or could be a milestone. Uh, well, this could be the biggest news in cybersecurity history, certainly in the United States. So winding back the clock to December of 2020, the world has the biggest hack in history. And it's a supply chain hack where the bad guys get into a cybersecurity tool built by SolarWinds. Um, if you look it up today, if you if you Google Starburst or Sunburst, you might find uh, that name uh, assigned to it. But essentially, they were able to use a backdoor to then spider themselves out into a bunch of the clients of SolarWinds. Uh, it was a terrible hack. It created a ton of vulnerability and certainly kept cybersecurity professionals awake for months. Uh, so in CyberTime, uh, that was, you know, a millennia ago. We've had even bigger hacks since then. But what happened in the wake of that was really the SEC coming down and saying, hey, wait a second, did you guys lie to your investors? This this impacted stock price. This impacted the viability of the company. And the, the CISO, the CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, is now on the hook for fraud. So uh, at, at a broad level, I think this is fantastic. We need to hold executives accountable for the security posture of their company. Um, at a micro level, I don't know. Uh, the, the case hasn't been let yet. The evidence so far shared is scant and candidly, it looks weak. Um, but I would be surprised if the SEC brought this without stronger evidence. So uh, I think broad level, really good. Holding executives accountable will improve the security posture of the country. Uh, and it's something that the Cyber Slayer Commission has been pushing 
Uh, I've advocated for it myself. I think at a micro level, whether or not this individual is guilty, we're going to have to wait and see. And I think we need to be very, very fair-minded with how we interpret um, with how we interpret some of his emails, how we interpret the status of security. Because if you went to any company in this country and, and you went through the emails of the CISO, what you will find, uh, by and large, is a sort of melancholy response to the status of security, in part because security is super hard and, and in part because we've now been shields up basically for three or four years, and we're finding more vulnerabilities than than we're staffed to fix. So I, I, I want to give the individual here who's facing this uh, a, a lot of respect and, and, and a wide berth. We need to make sure he, you know, he gets a fair shake here. Um, but I, at a large level, this is this is the right step. And it's a good thing. Um, and uh, I would point out, right, I mean, the Cyber Solarium uh, Commission landmark uh, body, uh, I remember uh, talking to uh, Tom Fanning of Southern uh, uh, Corp, uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, a, you know, nation's, I think, number two utility. And, you know, he was making the case that, look, companies do have to be held accountable and individuals have to be held accountable because, you know, otherwise we, we, we not everybody will do the right thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, putting... Uh, pressure, uh, you know, in order to disclose and, you know, otherwise we won't be addressing these vulnerabilities, even if it's in our business interest uh, to do so. And I think that was an important uh, part part of that. Uh, and obviously, you know, we have a, a great legal system and we'll see how the legal system rules. Very, very quickly, uh, Iranian activity, uh, John, I mean, anything out of the ordinary, right? I mean, Iran always tries to like a, a lot of the, uh, you know, axis of bad actors in the world, uh, whether it's China, Russia, uh, North Korea, uh, or Iran, uh, can take advantage, uh, right? I mean, we've we've talked about how the Russians may be taking advantage of this. We know the Chinese are taking advantage of this uh, for for their advantage with the global South in terms of what's happening in uh, Israel's war uh, on Hamas after those brutal terror attacks. Uh, and you know, we're, we're seeing that the you know Iranians have uh, their access of militia groups. Uh, and potent cyber capabilities. Uh, what what does what does this tell us that's new than what we've known for a long time anyway in terms of how they behave and what they do? Well, I think for people who've been involved in this, right, it's a little bit episodic. We know who the bad guys are, and they behave badly. Uh, they they find new and innovative innovative ways to uh, uh, try to blow up the world. I mean, it's a little bit like the Power Rangers from the '90s, where there's a new monster every week, and and so far we're winning. Uh, that so Iran is definitely one of the creators of those monsters. Um, I would say w- what is different in the sense, and I think we're going to find out here, is is with the October 7th attacks, there are some early indicators that there may have been some cyber involved there, uh, both in weakening the border defense, but also in intelligence. Uh, I think it'll be a long time before we get that detail. But it is clear that cyber is a vector of attack that our adversaries are using in the same way that they use the air, the ground, the sea. Uh, and and the free world has to be prepared for that. These guys are sophisticated. And as I say all the time, uh, the bad guys aren't dumb here. They're bad, but they're not dumb. And we need to be cognizant to that as, as we prepare to face them. Um, let me ask uh, one last uh, quick question, which is uh, social media, right? I mean, we've discussed this uh, before. A lot of concerns uh, uh, by uh, some that uh, you know, X, uh, formerly Twitter, uh, you know, it basically has r- r- reduced the checks on misinformation or disinformation getting out there. Uh, the most information is the most powerful weapon. 
what what is it that we could or should or need to be doing aside from telling people maybe spend less time on social media of course uh which can be exceptionally destructive and very clear lengths uh, links to you know episodes of suicide uh mental illness i mean physical illness but what are some of the things that uh, policymakers, uh, you know, regular folks, the government uh, need to to bear in mind because d- lies spread remarkably quickly uh, in this space, and even when they're corrected, might not actually be fully corrected in the minds of many people. Right, the the first impression sometimes is the impression. I think the reality is, is that these tools are information weapons of mass destruction. Certainly they can be used that way. Um, you know, if I had my druthers and I, I've advocated for this is that social media tools should be illegal for people under the age of 18. Uh, and, and I'm going to make a prediction here that in, in the next few years, five, six, whatever, maybe sooner, there is going to be a lawsuit on the same order of magnitude that the tobacco lawsuits were in the 90s, where we find out that executives at these companies knew absolutely that they had created and were implementing tools that were making young people unhealthy, that were making them sick. Uh, we see the effects of these tools, in suicide rates. We see the effects of these tools in creating vitriol, particularly amongst young people. Um, and we ought to treat them uh, with the same uh, with the same with the same you know, hand that we treat cigarettes. Um, if you're an adult, you want to, you want to ingest uh, that, that's your business. But, but for children and young people, we need to put some serious controls around it. And we need to be cognizant of what these tools are. We have given the dumbest people in our society, some of the worst people in our society, and I mean, global society, a megaphone to transport horrible ideas into the home and into the ears of every person on earth. So, um, it's not to say that the tools don't have some benefits. Certainly they do. But, but at this point, I think there's a lot of evidence to show that the negatives, uh, the negatives are real and need to be held, need to be dealt with. Um, uh, look, it's, it's, it's like, uh, right. I mean, there was this piece on how tobacco companies, when they bought snack food companies, used some of the same techniques to make their snack foods addicting. Uh, and everything about social media is designed to be addicting. There's no bottom. You just keep scrolling uh, and, you know, you go from one rabbit hole uh, to uh, another, which is right. You, you need to be hooked and you you need to be using the product. And as long as your eyeballs are on it, I can figure out a way to monetize it. It's, it's really uh, incredible. Uh, John, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks very much for joining us. We went a little bit long, but always very thoughtful uh, and already looking forward to welcoming you back on the program. Stay well and uh, congratulations uh, on the growing uh, family. We wish you all the best and hope you get some sleep. Well, thank you so much for having me. And, and I'm sure sleep will come in the next four or five months. <laughs>